You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Um, but anyway, for those of you who don't know me, I name, my name's Dan, and I've lived here in Manchester for a couple of years now. Um, but if four years ago you'd have said, Dan, you're going to be living in Manchester, I'd have probably laughed in your face. Um, a number of years ago, <coughs> I was exploring with a friend the possibility of moving up to Manchester. So we decided to, to pay the city a visit. Um, we thought we kind of planned all this through. We kind of thought about all the kind of the hot spots, the best places in Manchester to show it off at its finest. In reality, however, we kind of journeyed up here and we went to Nando's, which we could have done pretty much anywhere. We walked around the town square, which was very similar to many town squares. Had a curry, which also we could have done in most places. Got in the car and then drove home. <laughs> On the way back, we were kind of processing our highly cultured um, day in Manchester. And my friend turned to me and said, you know what, I think I'm going to move. I think it's the right thing. Clearly, the Nando's and curry had done the trick. Um, I, however, in the same moment thought, nope. <laughs> I'm staying right where I am. So as I said, I'd be shocked to hear that I'm now happily living here and would kind of consider myself almost-ish a Mancunian. You see, I've been living in the Midlands for many years, comfortably for around 15, and I built a cosy life myself. I was part of a great church, a job that I loved, friends. I owned a house, pretty much, pretty much all as it should be, and the thought of leaving this seemed absolutely crazy. In my mind, I wasn't going anywhere for the foreseeable future. Surely then, you know, at the time I was single, so surely if I was to meet anyone, it would happen in my own cosy little world and it would be on my terms. But as we often find, God's plan is often not our plan. And I ended up meeting someone in Manchester. The very place I'd driven back from, certain I would never live. But as time passed, things changed. We got engaged and the move to Manchester became a reality. Now, many of you might think the prospect of moving to a new city might sound really exciting. The chance to explore a new career, start a new job, learn new skills, build new friendships, explore a new city or part of the country. Sadly, however, I was not many of you. I spent many years based in the Midlands, and the idea of leaving my cosy world behind seemed pretty unnerving. And um, I started to rabbit hole. I'm not sure any of you have ever, ever done this. I started to think about how all these, th these changes in my life might play out. And my imagination just ran away with me. What if I chose the wrong career or chose one and realized I was just really bad at it? Um, what if I <clears throat> never fully got used to the city and was forever on Google Maps and needed it to get to you know, be in queue every time? What if I needed to develop new friendships and realized I just couldn't actually do it and I'd got no friends? It felt like a constant bombardment of worry and often about things that when you take a step back are never actually going to happen. You see, 500 years ago, my French is not my strong point, Michael de Montange, who was a French philosopher, thank you, um, said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune most of which has never happened. It's so easy to worry about the unknown and to fixate our minds on things which may never happen or even just to experience moments of worry. There's a study um, from Penn State University 
which looked into how many of our imagined calamities ever materialise. In this study, subjects were asked to write down their worries over an extended period of time and then identify which of their imagined misfortunes did not actually happen. Lo and behold, it turned out that 91% of what subjects worried about never happened. And of the remaining 9% of subjects discovered that they could either handle a difficulty much better than expected or the difficulty taught them a lesson worth learning. There have been many seasons in my life where I can relate to that. I remember playing out various worst-case scenarios in my head over and over again, imagining there was a high chance of all these crazy situations would ever happen. For some of us, we can also experience more legitimate, realistic worries, though. Maybe it's relating to a work decision you're waiting to find out where the implications are pretty serious. Maybe the finances don't quite add up and you're unsure how things are going to play out. Maybe it's you're waiting on some health-related results and you've self-diagnosed yourself with everything under the sun through Google. Sometimes, though, fear and worry of the unknown can be more subtle. Maybe we worry about how people perceive us, what people think of us. Maybe we worry about not being in control of situations. Or maybe we just kind of constantly worry about loved ones and family members in the background constantly. It's in these seasons or moments that we can feel like the ground which, which we're standing on is wavering or insecure. Now, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Psalm 40. And it says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. This psalm is written by King David, who was one of Israel's finest kings in the Old Testament. And although very, very gifted, he faced a lot of challenges. The words of that verse paint a picture of God's response to us when we feel helpless or alone. That God cares for us, cares deeply for us, and reaches in. He longs to lift us out of those places, out of the pit, and to set our feet upon solid ground. So whatever situations we might face, we can know that we can put the full weight of our trust in him. He gives us a firm place to stand. Now, early in my 20s, <coughs> I kind of did a little bit of climbing. And, um, and often before I'd climb, I'd kind of have visions of me racing up the wall with just my bare hands. The reality, however, was me holding on for dear life halfway up the wall, generally on the easiest route, um, with people frantically below me pointing where to put my feet. I don't know whether any of you can ever relate to that. It's very stressful. Eventually, I'd kind of managed to get to the top, and the time would be for me to come down. Now, for those of you who don't know, um, the bit of kind of coming down is called abseiling, and it's actually what the SES do. <laughs> On paper, it's, um, it's fairly simple. <clears throat> you literally straighten your legs, you lean back, twisting all your weight on the rope, and you walk down backwards when you're 10 metres up in the air. Fairly simple. I'd often get, uh, end up getting lowered down like a sack of potatoes, but, you know, the, the hope was there. Um, but leaning back on that rope involves trusting, trusting the strength of the rope that it can carry your weight. We're putting our life in the strength of the rope that it can carry us back to safety. The ability to trust in the rope helps us to overcome the worry of getting down. It might still be scary, but we're able to trust in what holds us. 
In the Bible, the Lord regularly encourages us to trust in him. It's kind of, you see it as a thread all the way through. And there's a kind of um, famous verse, and it's Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. I'm just going to read it again, but it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. I found this verse just incredibly encouraging and helpful, especially when worry seems to be the loudest voice. I've often broken it down into sections when I've been journeying through seasons or moments of worry. So this morning, I want to look at how this verse is in many ways like a roadmap to helping us journey through these seasons or moments of unknown and times of change. Controversially, however, I want to look at it backwards because trusting in the Lord with all your heart is the goal. That is the end game. That's where we want to land. We want the words, I trust you, Lord, to be so intrinsic to who we are, to be like the beating of a heart or breathing, that we don't need to tell our brain to do it. It just does it instinctively. But how do we cultivate a depth of trust like this? I think that's the challenge. I believe the first step is to acknowledge him. Basically, how can we trust in someone we don't acknowledge or know to be fully true? Wherever we're at on our faith, our journey of faith, and exploring the person of Jesus, this is the simple invitation to acknowledge him in our lives in a deeper way. Now, I'm not going to elaborate this further because we stand on the fact that God is real and desires to have relationship with every single person in this room. So I pose the question to us all this morning, what is next to us acknowledging him as king in our lives? It might be picking up a why Jesus or signing up to Alpha to explore the questions of who God is. It might be letting God deeper into our lives to bring healing and wholeness. Or it might be laying down or submitting a part of our life to God, which you've always had control over. I also think a key part of acknowledging him in all parts of our lives is simply learning to grow in thankfulness and acknowledging God's goodness in our lives. However small and simple this is, sometimes thankfulness can come easier for things that we maybe feel we've had to fight for or contend for. You know, it might be like getting a job. You've been applying for jobs for ages and you eventually get one. It might be the recovery of a loved one from, from hospital. I remember for us, we were kind of buying a house last year and it took us 11 months to get in and we were very, very thankful when we walked through the front door for the first time. These are key moments and areas to acknowledge God's involvement and goodness in our lives. However, I also believe we learn to acknowledge God's involvement in our lives as we build a habit of being aware of his goodness in the day-to-day. Whether that be having food to eat, a job we enjoy, um, country close by to explore, good friends, a roof over our heads, a car to drive. Now, I believe this is something we have to search for sometimes and constantly fight for, this whole thing of thankfulness. You know, it might be that a part of your job is challenging, but there is a little bit that you actually enjoy. It might be that you have issues with your health, but there are parts of your body which are healthy. This does not eliminate the challenges we face in life, but it does lift our eyes off these challenges to the truth that God is good and actively involved in our lives. This is one of the reasons also why we really value worship on a Sunday like we did this morning, uh, because it reminds us of who God is. It reminds us of how big he is. It reminds us of his faithfulness. It reminds us, and it builds a heart of thankfulness in us. It lifts our eyes off ourselves and up to him. 
it acknowledges that God is an active person in our life. Now, I remember when I was a kid, I used to, um, my parents used to make me kind of write thank you cards um, to letters, sorry, to family and friends after Christmas. Now, for those of you who are parents, you probably have a lot of these around Christmas time plastered on your fridge. Many of them are indecipherable. Um, but once the buzzard Christmas had, had died down, I'd grab my crayon when I was a kid, and we'd, I'd think about the gifts that I'd received, the generosity and the love of the people who'd sent them to me, and say thank you for it. Growing in thankfulness is about building the habit of acknowledging God's goodness and involvement in our lives, that every good and perfect gift comes from him. There's a really um, old vineyard song, which some of you might remember, some of you might not, called Father of Lights, um, which is the repeated line, every good and perfect gift comes from you. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. And I love it. And um, it's taken from James 1:17, which says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. But how easy do we get extract, distracted by what happens in the shadows? Maybe <clears throat> what happens when no one's watching but also, we might find ourselves worrying what the shadows contain. We can trust God because he is the ultimate giver of every good and perfect gift in our lives. So acknowledging not just God's involvement in our lives, but also his goodness and that he is king over all situations is key to overcoming worry. Now, the second part of the Proverbs verse says, lean not on your own understanding. I mean, how many times do we do this? I do this all the time. It's so easy not to do this. We often lean on our own understanding of how we perceive situations will play out or even rely on our own strengths and skills to steer us through. Circumstances, there we go. Awkward term page there. Um, the Message Bible translation of this verse says, don't try and figure out everything on your own. But we often do this. I think one of the key components of not leaning on our own understanding is leaning into community, inviting wise people into what's going on in our lives and journeying with them. I believe it's so important to verbalize our worries, to speak them out so they're not just caught inside our heads. Internalized worries can lead to anxieties and warp how we view ourselves. Sometimes that quote I mentioned at the start by Michael de la Montange, um, hey, thank you. Um, which says, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which has never happened. It's so easy for warriors to blow situations out of proportion or to softly nudge us off path. But friends and community help root us, encourage us, and speak truth into these situations. I think it's so important to think about who these people are also. Who are the voices we listen to in our lives? Are they pointing us towards Jesus? or away from him in these challenges. This is why, and one of the many reasons why, small groups are incredible places, because they provide us with a safe space for people to, for, to be supported, to encourage, and pray for each other regularly. Now, if you call Manchester Vineyard your home church, and you're not in a small group, I definitely advise um, heading over to the Connect area and having a conversation there. I believe the key part of not relying on our own understanding, though, is looking to God's word, the Bible. Now, last week, um, Paul talks about the value of um, obeying the word of God. And I think the question is, honestly, do we do this? I know I find it challenging. Do we value God's word over and above everything? The Bible is an amazing place for God to speak to us in our worries. 
Um, a guy called Andy Croft, who leads a church called Soul Survivor in Watford, said, we can trust the whole of God's word with the whole of our heart. We can trust the whole of God's word with the whole of our heart. It's a bit like um, an ent- how an entire ship entrusts its stability and position in rough seas to its anchor. God's word anchors us in rough seas and seasons. Learning and meditating on Bible verses about us being children of God, about us being forgiven, free, righteous, adopted into God's family, a masterpiece, are so important because they remind us of who we are and whose we are. Now, many of my friends um, have become dads over the last couple of years, which has been amazing to watch and see. And one of the key things is seeing those children learning to fully trust in their fathers whether it's providing them with food, helping them ride a bike, um, changing them, um, or playing with them. They're fully reliant on their dads who watch over them. And as we learn that we are children of God, um, fully known, accepted, and loved by him, I believe it reminds us that he is a father who we can rely on and who watches over us. He is not distant or uninterested in our lives. Now, I realize that some people's experience of an earthly father or family may not be one of trust or consistency or even presence. But our God is a father we can trust and who is consistent and is a presence in our lives and longs to rewrite and bring healing in areas our earthly family members may have fallen short. In 1 Thessalonians 5.21, it says, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. Now, this is in the context of the verse, it's talking about prophecy, but the principle is the importance of using God's word of our standard of truth. Knowing the word of God helps us know God's heart, and it provides us with a solid foundation and truths to challenge lies that we can so easily believe as we start to worry. Now, there are many of these amazing truths as we kind of read through the Bible, just scattered throughout. You know, you might find ourselves worried about being loved. And we go to Jeremiah 31 verse 1 says, I've loved you with an everlasting love and I've drawn you with an unfailing kindness. If we start worrying about being forgiven, 1 Peter 2.24 says, he himself bore our sins <coughs> on his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. If we worry about our worth, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do all things. Um, we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And if we worry about the future and what lies ahead, Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Now, I'm aware there are many of us who might not enjoy reading or find it hard. I know sometimes I can find it challenging. A great start is just to read some of these verses and think about what they mean for us. How does each word and verse play in our lives daily? The simple challenge is how can we choose to believe the truth if we don't know what it is? The scripture reveals to us truth, the truth of who we are, our identity, and the truth of who God is. By knowing, understanding, remembering, and ultimately trusting in the word of God, it reshapes and renews our minds so our worries and challenges are tested against the truth of what God says, his character and his faithfulness. This enables us to let go of our own understanding and to lean on his understanding. In my experience, this has been so helpful in pulling me back, or pulling back, me, um, bringing some perspective in times of worry and being reassured in what I am facing. 
as I've tried not to lean on my own understanding, which is limiting, especially when I don't know how situations are going to play out, I found it so helpful to meditate on God's word. In Hebrews 13, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is consistent, past, present, and future. And we can know, <clears throat> and we can know that he has a habit of being faithful. As we look at his faithfulness throughout the Bible, we read examples of what happens when people don't trust, though, when they mess it up. But we also read examples about when people do trust in him. And when that happens, we read about lost battles becoming victories. We read about the sick becoming well, the broken relationships being healed, mourning turning to dancing, God turning situations on their heads. The Bible is littered with these stories of people trusting God in the unknown. We see God's faithfulness to the faithful all the time. In the book of Judges, we read about Gideon. And he lived at a time when the Israelites were being uh, oppressed by the Midianites. Um, they'd experienced years of their crops and food sources being decimated, the threat of constant um, invasion and the reality of it, to the point where they were kind of hiding way up in the mountains. And although it doesn't say in the Bible, I think it is fair to say they were terrified, probably pretty worried. Um, and it's here that an angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, who is preparing some food. And the angel says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The angel is opening the words to speak into Gideon's identity and to reinforce that he is not alone. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, Gideon didn't realize it was an angel at the time and was somewhat perplexed by it, as I think I probably would be. And he politely says, pardon me, my Lord, but if it is the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened? It's very polite, isn't it? How many times of us, uh, how many of us have said this to the Lord? Well, we can't see a way forward in a situation. We simply say, God, how has this happened? How have I found myself here? The Lord then responds to Gideon by saying, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midianites' hands and I'll be with you and you will defeat the Midianites. God didn't promise to wipe out the Midianites without Gideon lifting a finger. God didn't remove the problem but led Gideon through it. I believe this is also God's promise to us. Similar to how we'd respond, Gideon again asks for some signs as proof from God. And God agrees. God can see Gideon's lack of faith, maybe his fear in the situation, the emotions he's experiencing, his anxiety, and he strengthens him. He gives him what he needs. I suspect in many ways Gideon would have just wanted God to remove the situation, but instead God goes with him, strengthens him and equips him. God knows what Gideon needs to lead him through the situation. And the Lord does this to us. The Lord knows us intimately, our personality traits, how we make decisions, our strengths, our worries, our past failings, our successes, everything about you and more, the Lord knows. I personally find it so reassuring that I'm fully known. Gideon was fully known by God, and despite his worries and lack of faith, God saw the gold in him and drew it out. He saw Gideon's strength of character, his focus, all his gifts, and chose to use them. The simple truth is God sees the gold in each one of us in this room. And whether we see it or not, God can see it. But God also invites us to look for the gold in those around us and to draw it out, to encourage those at work, to champion friends, to speak well of people, to remind them of their gifts. And the story goes on with Gideon, and he basically gathers this massive army of over 30,000 people, 
to defeat the Midianites. Now, if I was Gideon, I'd be fairly pleased with gathering that. It'd be a bit of a pat on the back moment, a lot of friends. However, early in the morning, he wakes up, and God says to Gideon, your army is too large. Obviously, bombshell moment. Um, And God says, basically, anyone who's trembling with fear has to go home. So this cuts the army down from 30,000 people down to 10,000 people. Now, if Gideon wasn't nervous before, he'd have been pretty nervous now. Yet again, the Lord says, you've still got too many men. Take them down to the river, and anyone who drinks directly from the river, rather than cupped hands, needs to go home. Now, if I was Gideon, I'd have thought, Lord, this is a terrible way to choose an army. I need a huge army, or maybe you know, a smaller army of special soldiers, not an elite group of water drinkers. Gideon is left with over 300 men of varying abilities to defeat an entire army. Rather than giving these men a sword and a shield, they're then given a trumpet and an empty jar. Essentially, the tools for a musical cookery class, not winning a battle. How often do we find ourselves in situations where we essentially feel that we don't have what it takes? The troops are given these instructions then to hold the jars and trumpets around the enemy camp then sound their trumpets and shout, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon, and then to stand still. So just to clarify, we had the army which was the wrong size, surrounded the enemy's camp with the wrong equipment, and then essentially, by human standards, did the wrong thing. Yet if you read in Judges 6, they win. They defeated the Midianites. God has stripped Gideon of everything he can use to win the battle in his own strength. From Gideon's perspective, nothing made sense. In fact, it looked like the situation was quickly deteriorating. Yet the Lord said to Gideon, I cannot deliver Midian into your hands, or Israel would boast against me and say, my own strength has saved me. God was saying, it's not about you, Gideon. It's not about you getting the glory or the victory or relying on your own strength. It's not about you, it's about me. In seasons of unknown or challenge, when we when we worry about situations, it's easy to make it about us. And I've done that so many times. But Gideon's story shows us it's about God. It's about giving him all the glory. It's about his faithfulness, his wisdom, and about his strength. The story of Gideon reflects also what we read in Proverbs. He acknowledges God, and even in his humanness and initial doubt, trusted God's plan at each step. However crazy it felt, Gideon learned not to lean on his own understanding but to trust in his Father. And as we journey through challenges, all the Lord is calling us to do is trust in him, to give him the glory. God invites us to submit these things for our challenging situations, maybe challenging dynamics at work, tensions in our marriage, financial worries, concerns at school with our kids, for all of these things and more to find their place under him. For these situations not to feel bigger than he is, 